Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is usually never longer than 30 minutes, but today we have a special episode in so many different ways. We are recording um, inside the new Apple Developer Center here at Apple Park during WDC. So it's a special week, so we're, we're not going to be as particular about the timing of this episode because we have... Not more than just Marco and I as well. I'm, we're joined with by Serenity Caldwell and Andres Velker, who were you know, joining us to talk about all the new ex- exciting things that have just been announced at WWDC. We're recording on the Tuesday, so the day after um, the main keynote, and we were just sort of. It's, I'm still slightly reeling from the experience of um, just being at Apple Park, being at the develop, developer center, hearing all the announcements. And I think the best place that I wanted to start with, I think, is to talk about this amazing space that we're in right now. So we're in the Apple Developer Center, which is newly opened as of yesterday, as far as I can tell. Um, and I'd love to hear, Serenity especially, what is sort of the motivation behind this building? Because it is clearly not a place that was just thrown together. It is clearly thoughtfully put together and has tremendous capability for what developer relations is going to be able to do going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, we didn't just put this up uh, up last week, for sure. This has been something that's been years in the making and something that, you know, I'm, I joined this team relatively recently in the last couple of years, but our team, you know, has been serving developers and working with developers for over 30 years. And we've been running all of these, you know, workshops and one-on-one meetings and design reviews with folks uh, in a number of different spaces around the world. Uh, and including here in Cupertino and in some of our existing buildings. And we've really wanted for a long time to have a space for developers to to be here with us in a space that felt like theirs, that they could – interact with us, that they could show what they were working on in a, in a way that felt secure so that we weren't revealing anything um, that they were working on or in progress, but also a space where we could collaborate with them. And um, the Developer Center is, you know, I... I don't want to use the word world class, but I think I will. It's a world class space for for development. I mean, I think what's really special is we've got all of these different areas inside the center. We've got these smaller rooms. We've got the, you know, we've got Big Sur, our broadcasting space. We've got the space that we're in now uh, to to podcast. Uh, And they're really configurable for whatever we're bringing a developer in for, whether that's a one-on-one meeting, whether that's a whole team coming in to to collaborate um, and, and integrate a new feature or help an already great app become even better. There's just a lot of different opportunities for us. And we're super, super psyched and also just excited to have you two here, excited to have all of the developers that came from from Apple Park or came to Apple Park yesterday uh, and came to to see the Developer Center. You know, we've been been in the building for a little bit, uh, but this is really kind of its maiden, maiden voyage to sure. developers. <laughs> And I'll say, as someone who's been to a variety of Apple events over the years, that where it was not in a developer center, where it was sort of been an environment where, for security, for for the appropriate you know, sort of things that needed to be happened there, I would say that it, it felt less like I was a guest and a little bit a little bit of being an intruder going to an Apple campus. Whereas this, I got to say, is the complete opposite. It feels like this is a place that was made for that was made for me, that was made to cater to the needs and to the things that I would benefit from as a developer who is trying to do what you know sort of do do whatever do the best work that I can and it's really cool to come to a place that clearly took a lot of effort to make and to be able to see that and so it's really fun to be like it's like I'm a guest and not a you know it's like I'm not, I'm not imposing on Apple Apple is inviting me in a different way here yeah I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's absolutely our motivation as well is you know we've got people coming in 
you know, not it's sometimes it's short meetings. Sometimes it's we're working with them for a little bit. And we really want to make sure that we're not just, OK, we're shuffling you into a conference space and we're going to you know work in very and we're going to have to escort you to the bathroom or escort you yeah. around. You know, we really want to make sure if you're coming in to, to work with us that you feel like an equal partner here and that it's some, it's a it's a place for you as much as it is a place for us to work with you. So one of the things that's really cool about this building, too, that we were able to kind of integrate is all of the conference rooms that we've built you know we have these really beautiful glass uh, glass windows that are shaded so that there's lots of natural lighting like we don't have to keep you in the middle of a building that's sure. surrounded by another bu- or they're surrounded by more conference rooms and surrounded more more conference rooms we actually you get to be very close to the outdoors you get full access to to be able to wander out if you want to like take a brainstorming walk or you need to take another call uh, but you are still we're able to build it in such a way that it's still very private and very secure yeah. so you can come and go as you please. Uh, and we also, when we invite developers into this space, we actually give them badges just like employees. So you have access to the specific rooms and the specific places that you'll be working with, as well as access to restrooms, access to a dedicated break room, uh, so that you can really feel like it's your space for the time that you're here with us. Yeah. And can you go into just a small amount of um, clarification about like what's the process for developers who want to come here or who think they have a good reason to come here? Is this kind of like you know don't call us, we'll call you situation, <laughs> or you know like, do you like what wh- what's the what's the process there like like how sh- how should developers be viewing their relationship with the dev center and how to how to possibly get in here and and maybe for what reasons yeah definitely the tldr is like how do i get here right (laughs) so uh that's that's a great question we actually have a lot of uh, different ways that we can bring in developers you know in our centers that we already have accessible uh like our center our developer center in shanghai and india we do regular workshops with developers where we send out emails where they can apply to to attend um in addition to that you know uh you talk about one-on-one meetings those are some of the things that uh, you know, we're constantly looking for people who are building incredible apps, right? Who are doing really interesting things with experiences, whether that's a something cool with an app clip or something that's adopting the latest features in Swift UI. Uh, and we're, you know, we've got a, a lot of people inside developer relations and inside evangelism and our partnership management team that are constantly just on the lookout for awesome folks. We also talk regularly with our partners around Apple, like, um, our App Store editorial team, of course, they have a really great pipeline for folks who have new updates to their apps, um, and they have a, a specific form where it's like if you're interested in being featured and we may not know about you, submit that uh, so that we can get more information. App Store will frequently say, hey, have you heard about these folks? Like, we just got this information, and would you would you be interested in speaking with them? Um, but a lot of the times, honestly, it's also just us, you know, we're – we are constantly listening and in the community, right? You know, I'm on Twitter. Uh, some of our other folks are on social. And we always want to see, you know, what developers are working on and if they have a new up app update or if they're doing something really cool with a specific framework, like I mentioned. Um, we really want to we want to uh, make sure that we're aware of what the community is doing so that we can identify those folks and say, hey, you already have this great experience did you know that there's X, Y, Z, there's these frameworks to make it better? Or, hey, have you thought about implementing this in a certain way? Or, hey, you know, this design is really fantastic. Have you thought about this? Have you? My, my, my tagline is just going to be, have you thought about? Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It really is a, a, a fun conversation. So, yeah, there are, there are lots of opportunities for, for folks to, to come on in. That's great. And I think now I think the thing that I really want to talk about with Andreas is 
the announcements yesterday. And I think the direction that clearly I think the most like I think my, my, my favorite part of a WBC Monday is the State of the Union is that like the, the, far, the, the morning is great in terms of getting the sense of the overall structure. But as a developer and as talking to a developer audience, like I think the afternoon, the State of the Union is that that's the real the crux of the week. And I think you can get a sense from that that's setting the tone for what we should be interested in, what we should be excited about, where the focus is. And I think it was very clear and I think very helpful as a developer that at the beginning when Josh was talking about his essentially like his vision for the platform is that it's like Swift. Swift UI, Xcode previews, this is where the effort is going. This is the the future of all of Apple platforms. That it and for almost all of the features that were announced um, this week, it's very much they're on it's like it, it, there's so much sort of unification around those those technologies that if it's like if you're using Swift with Swift UI, you're gonna work great on an Apple Watch, you're gonna work great on an iPhone, on an iPad, on Mac, on TVOS, wherever wherever you all wanted to be, you could be there. And I think I really sort of love to get some more color in the sense of that is a direction, that is sort of where Apple sees sort of sees the platforms moving forward. Yeah. You know, the state of the union really is the the session where we kind of put it all together for developers, where we really translate the announcements that we made in the morning uh, for developers and, and really try to help them understand where we going and and i think you picked up on the important theme from this year that you know our future for our developer platform is swift swift ui and and xcode previews and and we really see uh, you know, this this vision of the platform that we we have is that we have this really tight integration between these three components, the programming language, uh, the APIs, our frameworks, and and the tools. And we really find that by designing them together and advancing them together, uh, you know, the results are so much greater than the, the sum of all the individual parts. And, uh, you know, often, you know, we, we make improvements, for example, to Swift, uh, you know, maybe the, the kind of like make it more expressive and more compact. Uh, because we, we are kind of motivated by, you know, a, a code snippet we are looking at while we're designing Swift UI and we're obsessing about, about this code snippet. Like, can't we find a better way to express that in a more compact way, a smaller way, you know, so that developers can be faster. And, and, uh, you know, some great examples for that are things like results builders or, or value types that in Swift that enable the, the declarative syntax in, in Swift UI. And, uh, you know, this year, I think we, we created this really great all around uh, package almost of, you know, improvements in the Swift language to make it more readable and, uh, you know, more flexible APIs in Swift UI to give developers more of what they want and really implement the apps that they are, that they are looking for and, and even better tools, uh, you know, to, to make them more productive while they're working on their code and, and I think, uh, you know, the result is really higher developer productivity that you get from this combination of Swift, Swift UI and, and Xcode previews. And we're really looking forward to hearing what developers think about it this year. For me, what I see is it's, 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 I find something reassuring about the clarity of that vision that I think I've gone through enough of these transitions that there's a sense of, I like that Apple is clearly committing to this. This is like the, the early years of Swift UI when it, you know, maybe whatever it was, is it three years old this year, four years yeah. old? And it's like the, the early years, it, there was a little bit more, it was more experimental. It was more interesting as a new paradigm that was, very productive and I've done a tremendous amount of work with it. And I think it's, it allows a certain kind of productivity that you just can't get previously that, you know, I've, you know, I started doing development with objective C and UI kit and it was great, but I wouldn't say it was necessarily productive that there is something in Swift UI that is so rapidly, you can rapidly iterate, you can try and experiment lots of things. And especially with Xcode previews that you just can't do. And it's interesting now to be able to sort of have this clarity that if you're not Swift, Swift UI, 
going forward that you're you're going in sort of you're either you're carrying around a lot of baggage that you don't need to be or you're not taking advantage of sort of the accelerators that apple is putting out to allow developers to do well, do things that they were previously able to do that's right we, we really i feel seen <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. yeah we, we really see it as a huge accelerator for for developer productivity right and and we have heavily invested in our earlier frameworks you know, in, in languages object to see and app kit and ui kit and, and interface builder um and and they will continue to serve us for for many more years uh you know and, and that investment isn't going away but but we just see the the productivity gains that developers have and they when they kind of move into the this new world I and mean, they transition into into kind of our future direction and and uh, we are hoping to just you know enable them to create better and better apps yeah i think it's interesting i mean you know i i have this massive baggage of my you know almost 10 year old uh, app code base so a lot of which is still objective c it's almost entirely still ui kit um and i feel a lot of that that burden of like i'm not able to take full advantage i mean i, I guess can you speak a little bit to like you know how I, I guess the migration path, you know, we know about things like hosting controllers and enclosing different views in different ways. Like, what has, have there been advancements in the migration path of like, you know, bringing your old code base kind of piecemeal into the new world? Yeah, the, the interoperability between the, uh, you know, the, the uh, earlier frameworks and, and SwiftUI is just huge. You know, it, it's it's hugely important. Uh you know, most most developers don't start over with a new app uh, every every year, right? They they have code bases that are years old, like like you said in in your case, and and you know nobody wants to just rewrite an app for for the purpose of rewriting an app, right? You want to get some benefit out of it. So so the best way to adopt Swift UI is kind of incrementally, right? You when you when you create a new part of your app, um, then you write it in Swift UI, and over time, more and more parts of your app transition into into the new world, and and you you kind of gain those productivity uh, wins. Right? Right. And um, and so I think from our perspective, it's just really important to have this interoperability. Uh, we're going to continue pushing on that, making sure that things work well together. And and SwiftUI is a is a many year journey. Right. We, we just announced it or shipped it a few years ago and and we will continue improving it for for many more years. And and that that means that not all functionality is present in SwiftUI today. And so it is just going to be the, the reality that in, in many cases, developers will fall back to uh, using UIKit or AppKit directly. And, and so making that path really smooth and, and, uh, and, and uh, yeah, making sure it just works great is, is just an important design point of, of our approach to SwiftUI. Yeah, I will say on that score, what I definitely see this year, it feels slightly like just as I've been doing SwiftUI since the beginning, I was doing a lot of watchOS development. And for there, it was this massive win coming from WatchKit to SwiftUI. And so the potential limitations of it being a young framework were much easier to navigate because it was such a more, so much more capable and so much more powerful than what we had before there. Um, but I'm seeing in this year when I go through what's, what's been added to SwiftUI, I see... A lot of things that seem to be the manifestation of it maturing beyond just sort of the easy case and the trivial case that I especially when I think about the new layout system and the um, the navigation, the, the new declarative navigation system that it seems like it is be, sort of both learning from the needs of the of you know, there are those both like those two things are solving problems that I've had to code around previously. The things that I've had to potentially fall back to UI kit or things that I've had to sort of navigate previously. And it's very cool to see it kind of incorporating the, the needs as, as, as it's growing. And I think that's clearly seems to be something that is the intention here that it's, it's continuing to sort of expand its, its the scope of problems that it's able to, to handle. 
Yeah, in, in fact, since we shipped the first version of SwiftUI, really the mode we've been in is, is listening to our developers and, and really trying to understand and learning from them how they're using it. Um, and we also, uh, you know, talk a lot to our, our other teams inside Apple when they write their own apps to learn from them. And, and, and really what we've, you've seen us doing over the last years is, is, is listen closely to, uh, you know, what the problems are that developers have with SwiftUI and then coming up with specific solutions and new APIs. Uh, to, to help them. And, and what we heard loud and clear actually recently is that uh, developers were just struggling with kind of going beyond the default functionality, especially when it comes to managing the different states of their apps and, and uh, you know, the layout, uh, you know, options that they are pursuing. And so, so we created new APIs specifically for that. We created the grid API, we created the custom layout API, the uh, navigation API, and these are really uh, direct answers to the feedback we are getting from developers. And we're going to continue doing that. Uh, we're going to listen, uh, you know, to 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 how the experiences are, and and every year we will try to come up with the best possible solutions to 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 make it even better. And we're in it for the long run. Yeah, and I think that seems clear that it's it's, it's that kind of and that, that that responsiveness is very nice. That it, it's 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 one of the best feelings I think you can have as a developer is when you get to delete some code because it's no longer needed. That something that's you know some hack or some workaround or something that I've had to build. Being able to it's get my entire app, sure. You have to, <laughs> but don't you feel great when it goes away? Yeah, I got when, it. when I did the watch kit to uh, to Swift UI conversion on the watch. It was a full rewrite. That felt amazing. Yeah, it's a great feeling, and I think it, there is something really cool about seeing your commitment to it in that way. That it is clearly not well. Here is this thing that we've made that is conserve the basic case. But if you really want to get serious, well, then you're going to have to, of course, go to UIKit. That, clearly, that is not the intention. The intention is that over time, it'll completely subsume all of the possible things that would need to be a best-of-class um, Apple app for whatever that platform that looks like. That's right. And and one of the the other design points of Swift UI is that it works great on all our platforms. And and so one of the big advantages of doing that and transitioning to Swift UI is that it's actually really easy to create apps that run on all our platforms. It's not you know UI kit specifically for iOS and app kit specifically for macOS. Swift UI is really you learn it once and then you apply it to to all our platforms. And that's one of the big advantages of of moving into that that state. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's good to know too. Like you know, you mentioned you know you're in this for the long haul, and I think you know it's it's hard as developers to adopt things the very first year they're announced because so much stuff in our world comes and goes because it, it turns out it doesn't land right, or it's, you know we find better ways to do things. And and so, but I think I think at this point it's you know, it's pretty safe to jump into SwiftUI, <laughs> and I'm saying that as you know one of the most conservative people in our community about jumping into new stuff. But but you know I, I definitely look at what we have now, and I'm I'm feeling that I'm I'm uh, I'm being held back by not jumping in. And, you know, the areas where I have jumped in, I've had mixed success with, but but I'm glad to hear that you're making progress and, and listening. I mean, it's, you know, I think one thing that, that developers need to be reminded of a lot because of the communication style of, of the company um, is that you do hear us. And, and you know, it, it we, you always tell us this at, at DubDub, but it's it's one thing to be told like in a presentation. It, it's a it's a very different thing to actually see the result of that. And I think it's it's comforting to hear that you that you really do pay attention and you hear what we're doing. And because you know it, that can you know w- when it's been a while since we've talked to you guys, and you know it's like you know February, and you know it it can be easy to forget that. 
Yeah, we co- we completely agree that that you know the the state of Swift UI is is now that we can you know wholeheartedly you know recommend for for developers to use it and and that's why we tried to send this very clear message in the state of the union and you know we hear it from developers uh, you know when they when they speak to us and we see it with our own teams inside Apple um, it's just it's ready yeah just what Marco was saying there I think it's interesting too is the sense of I get the, the feeling that. It, there is more communication coming out of Apple than just from the WWDC, mm. and I think that is an interesting thing that I've se- thing that I've seen over the last um, year or two, especially just sort of while things are a bit more virtual, is the increase in terms of the tech talks, videos, not just at WWDC, and having that sense of that there's a there's a much more surface area for communication. Yeah, you know. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that the pandemic was a great thing for many people, uh, myself included. However, I do think that it provided a huge opportunity for us to really rethink the way that we were communicating massively to our developer audience, right? You know, our the, the evangelism team and worldwide developer relations as a whole, we've been doing lots and lots of one-on-one meetings with developers over the years, right? After WWDC, our folks go out all over the world. They meet with people. They understand how their apps are working, try and help them make them, make them even better. Um, but there are only so many evangelists, right? Yeah. <laughs> there are only so many people at Apple um, and only so many one-on-one meetings we can have. I mean, we even see this in the labs during WWDC, right? Um, we, we would love to have every single developer meet one-on-one. Um, but as, you know, I think Tim said 34 million developers sure. <laughs> this year. We've got a, we've got a huge community, um, which is awesome. Uh, and, and to scale, to serve every single member of that community one-on-one, I'd love to be able to do it, but I don't think there are enough cloning facilities in the world. <laughs> However, there is a huge opportunity to to find ways and develop programs that can reach developers at scale that have that same the same principle and the same essence of a one-on-one meeting, but are able to help more people. So, yeah, doing videos uh, outside of WWDC, finding whenever there's new technologies or updates to technologies that we want to share, finding ways of sharing those best practices, finding things like the tech talks uh, that we ran in in October and November and December last year, where we were able to to do online sessions followed by live Q&A, our digital lounges, you know, that we piloted last year at WWDC and are doing a again, with uh, many more topics and uh, and sessions this year uh, and giving group opportunities for folks to kind of interact in a text-based situation. We really are. We've, we've thought about a, a number of different ways and are continuing to kind of evolve that uh, in ways that we can connect with a larger group of developers, more diverse group of developers. Our entrepreneur camps are another example of something that we've done in the last, uh, last couple of years to try and reach uh, some of our underdeveloped communities or underrepresented communities, rather. And yeah, there's. I, I I think we've still got a long way to go, right? This isn't a. I I don't want to be like, yes, we we figured it out because uh, it's it's always a conversation. It's always an ongoing opportunity for us to analyze, like, what are we doing well? What can we do better for the community? Uh, and what is the also what does the community need, right? Like, we don't want to throw programs out into the void. We really want to make sure that this is a, a collaborative effort and that we're we're actually helping. Yeah. And I think I, I feel that in a positive way, in the sense of it feels like the platforms are heading in a new direction, it's sort of like SwiftUI is a new direction, a new, and it's, it's this sort of cohesive vision that is being put out that this is the direction. The increase in that communication, I think, is very helpful because it allow, it's, you know, the best, in order for us to best make use of the things that 
Apple is making requires us to know how to use them. And that's increasing the, the, the space in which you can communicate that is, is so helpful rather than it being back in the day where it's like you know, the Friday of WDC ends and not that like that was the end, but the, the volume and the ability to interact and learn diminished dramatically on, on that Friday afternoon. Absolutely. And I think Andreas can probably speak to this more too, but it's also a two-way street for us, sure. right? Like our engineers and our designers, we get just as much from meeting with you as hopefully you get from meeting with us. And when we hear how you're using frameworks and how you're using APIs, I think that actually really helps long-term in the development of that. Yeah, and it's really the role that WBC plays for us every year. You know, like hearing it directly from developers and, and you know, they bring their projects along and, and we, we kind of talk to them, we see what they are doing. It, it is it is so invigorating, actually. Yeah, and I think in some ways that's the fascinating thing about this hybrid sort of model for WDC is that I can say that there is something just magical about being in person and having personal interaction with, with engineers, with, with fellow developers, whatever that is, that is something that... That you, it, it, it is valuable and different in a way that, as much as I really, I think the, like the, the the virtual labs have been a huge success. I think I really enjoyed them. I was slightly skeptical as someone who loved the labs in years gone by. I think I was going into it slightly skeptical, and I was won over that it's like it was it was actually super productive and and helpful. But there is something different about having that interaction and being able to interact in a way that just there's just something different about it. we could be doing this podcast virtually and it would feel different than than, than sitting in the same room with you yeah absolutely and I, I think that's that's where we can continue to to shape and evolve these programs too is that there is something really magical about being in the same space there is i mean uh i i almost want to be like hey what did you think of yesterday because we haven't sure. really talked you you folks have been asking all these questions but spoiler uh, we loved yeah. it we loved it <laughs> <laughs> love to hear it yeah uh, but yeah like the the those in-person connections are really special and remain really special to us um and and we certainly want to make sure that as we continue to to develop outreach programs that we have really great m- moments and opportunities for in-person connection as well as great opportunities for folks to to connect online and not lose any of the any of the knowledge that we've gained and any of the access and the accessibility uh, for worldwide developers as well. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, if you don't even know what I thought about yesterday, I think the mo- of course for me the most excited thing was the the just I guess the the direction of widgets and the fact that they continue to seem to ex- they've, they've expanded and evolved. And as someone who's been, I've been making I made complications, um, and I guess that was WatchOS two. I think was when complications first uh, were were a third party opportunity back then. And it's like seeing the evolution of this technology from th- that to now. It's even come full circle and widgets from iOS are now, it's the same technology exactly that is now being moved into watchOS, which feels like in some ways a manifestation of this kind of, that by moving everything behind SwiftUI, you can have this cross-platform um, opportunity that the work I've been doing for complications on watch on watchOS now is directly beneficial to the work I want to do doing lock screen widgets um, on iOS. And that seems like a really interesting sort of exa- example of a manifestation of what you're of this sense that by putting the energy into creating a new platform that works in a lot of different places these new opportunities start to appear that's right and you know we all have many apps on our devices right and and they often contain little bits of information that you want to get quick access to but you don't necessarily want to launch the entire app for it right and and so surfacing that kind of the kind of like the essence of the information that an app provides right on the on servicing that on the lock screen and your watch and in the future even the car dashboard that's really a great way to 
make sure that users can always just get the most important data, you know, quickly. And, and, you know, at the same time, we, we do have to be, very aware of, of uh, you know, performance and power considerations. You don't want all these apps running all the time just to show, you know, a little nugget of information. And so SwiftUI really gives us this great way to have apps, you know, produce, uh, you know, these snippets of information ahead of time, have the system render them at the, you know, the right moment and do this all in a power and performance efficient way um, and, and, and give us a lot of flexibility across the platforms to apply widgets in different user experiences experiences right that that really makes them come alive well and that's one area too where like you know the the most recent updates to everything the way it's unifying like with you know in the case of widgets unifying between the watch complication and the and the phone lock screen complication or lock screen widgets um you know in in the not too distant past we you know as all these platforms kind of came up um and they were you know young and and immature or early um th- we have a lot of instances where you would have to write the same feature like three subtly different ways all right, and and it was, and you'd have these APIs between the different platforms that were almost the same, but not quite the same, and that was very cumbersome as developers to have to deal with that. Um, and you know, seeing not only the you know the widget system now being more unified, um, I'm I'm looking forward to diving into the new um, App Intent API as well because that's another instance where like you have this you know large amount of you know similar kind of boilerplate between the different platforms you have to deal with um, moving all of that into not only one unified API. But a fairly simple one, uh, you know, at least the way it looks in the editor is simple. <laughs> but there's obviously a lot of depth there, and and you know, w- w- no one's perfect, and we run into walls constantly. But you know, that's development. Um, but to have that all be these now unified APIs that work across all the platforms that are the same across all platforms that allow a certain degree of code sharing between the platforms, that's a huge advantage, and that's something that's very very recent, and it's very appreciated. Yeah, thank you for for saying that, and and I think you see us really embracing that in in the newer technologies that we've been been developing, and and you know we we want to enable developers to bring their apps to you know the the device that fits their users needs best, right? And that's not always the same device for every user. So making it easy for developers to create apps that run on on multiple of our platforms is is really the best way for to to enable our developers to to be successful with all their users. And uh, and so that's why why we are pursuing this strategy to to create APIs like SwiftUI that you know where you where you learn it once and then you can apply it to every platform and often even reuse the same code the exact same way. Yeah, and I think it's I really I very much appreciate the sense that a lot of the the fact that the way that you're able to do the same code running in a lot of places isn't is because you're doing the hard work on the back end to make it appropriate. That I can declare and say, this is conceptually what I want this control to mean. And then you're doing the work of, well, on a, on a watch, that will, what that manifestation of that is going to be is very different to what it's going to be if you're, that, you know, that's running on a Mac or on a big iPad. Like that, the, I can, I'm focused on what it should do and you're worrying about how to actually make that happen and make it a, at the most sort of maximally appropriate. Right. You tell us how it should be, and and then it's our job to kind of find the best representation of it on every platform. Yeah, and I think that I was fascinated too. In it's Swift charts is an is a good manifestation of that sort of that same concept of being able to. I've done. I've made charts on WatchOS. I've made charts on iPad. I've made charts on the Mac. I have made charts on iOS. Like all of those different places, and you, what you have to do, and the way that um, that will manifest itself is very different. I feel like it's a different. 
um, that, that you, the, the, the user expectations and even the accessibility story and what you do there is very different depending on which platform you're on. And I think it's fascinating to see the declarative UI sort of paradigm of Swift UI applied to things that aren't, it's UI, but it's in a different kind of, con- in a different construct. That Swift Charts is very much about your, it's almost your, your modeling data in, in, in a declarative way. And then what the, how that will actually be rendered and what that will look like is, is something that then the, the system is taking care of. And then as, for me, as a, I think it's, it's the, the biggest benefit of that is then it has just sort of immediately and out of the box, it has the full, um, like the accessibility, the audiograph you, the, uh, system and all of these things that are potentially, it's not, it's not, it's not insurmountable, but it's certainly difficult as, as a developer to have to, if you want to make it just, you, I just want to make a bar chart, chart that shows something, the work that it would take to make that flexible with dynamic type and have the audio, have the audiograph API and all of the, all of those things in it is pretty substantial. And it's not something that is just easy to throw together and to be able to instead, you know, I can make it, it's quite, quite remarkable when I look at the amount of, the line, this is, you know, in, in five or six lines of code, you can define a chart that will do all of those things is just amazing. And from a, from a productivity and from a creativity perspective. Yeah, with, with charts, we, we saw this really great opportunity to give developers a new API to enrich apps and actually make them come alive. Right? The, the world is so full of data and information nowadays and, and really clearly visualizing that is, you know, is, is just making it more accessible to so many users. And, and we found that the, the same principles we use to design all of Swift UI applied themselves so nicely to, to Swift charts. You know, the declarative syntax is such a nice, natural way to describe how a chart should look. Um, and, and, you know, it, it resulted, like you said, in, in, you know, this very compact code to very, very quickly pull together some really appealing visual graphs and, and at the same time get the benefit of all the work that we put into it to make it highly accessible, uh, you know, to support animations and to make them run on all the platforms. You know, it's, it's just all of the, the core principles of Swift UI applied again now to the, to the domain of charts and it can really make, you know, apps more interesting and, and more visual and, and, uh, and just, yeah, more, more appealing. And that's, and that's so important, you know, in the, in the area of, you know, in our show, you know, we're two independent developers. We don't have any other, you know, staff in our in our respective companies, and and a lot of our audience members are that way as well. And and it's so important as you know, as indies these days. You know, the the world of tech is so big. The world of you know, we, we, it used to be that one person could make a very simple app on iOS, and and you know, it was it wasn't that much work. These days, you have so many expectations of being in all these different places, having the different platform application you know, compatibility, having, you know, you, you got to have a watch app for your phone app, and you have to have complications and widgets and lock screen, all this stuff now. And, you know, areas that big companies often will go their own way on, like design, uh, you know, they, they'll they make all their own custom icons and everything. And, you know, we've recently come to the religion of, um, of uh, SF symbols a lot. And, you know, taking advantage of like, you know, that. Apple's a huge company with huge design resources and huge engineering resources. And so we can kind of, you know, amplify our efforts by just using the stock pieces you provide in all these different areas. And something like charts is a good example where like, you know, you I mean, I don't think anybody had that on their bingo card this year as a feature you were going to announce, but, but there it is. And there's like, it turns out a lot of apps have charts and you just made it a lot easier. And yeah, the big companies that have somehow thousands of people working on like the simple iOS app, I don't know how that works, but somehow people do it. And they are going to keep having their own 
army of designers who's going to you know manually do every single thing but for the rest of us who are much smaller shops we can just take these building blocks and you know have that problem kind of checked off our list and move on to more interesting stuff yeah we think Swiftchart is going to be you know very applicable to many many apps and and we think it's going to be very popular with our developers so so we're looking forward to seeing what they're doing with it yeah and i think in another area that i feel like along the same way of like something like swift charts creating a productivity and just just sort of short circuiting a lot of things in apple providing that help i see in things like weatherkit and xcode cloud coming out um this year it's it, it's interesting to see apple move into providing infrastructure i guess is the best word i could think of it where it's rather than it just being apple provides here's a set of tools go and do what you want with them it's much more of an ongoing interactive sort of relationship that Apple is in directly involved in our, you know, our continuous integration or directly involved in providing um, weather data to us. And I think that seems like it's not necessarily a new thing, but I think it was certainly an interesting thing that I saw that there's that partnership is expanding in terms of the, the, the kind of offerings that Apple is providing to developers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you said it really well, right? Um, we de- we develop and we offer a certain set of tools. And I like to look at it this way. It's very much another kind of tool that we're offering, right? It's just a different sort. And Andres, I feel like you can talk a little bit more about Xcode Cloud and and those since you're a little bit closer to yeah, it. Yeah, we see a lot of opportunity in building services that make developers more successful, right? These The, the weather kit and, uh, and ExoCloud are just really powerful functionality that, that we are trying to make available to a really broad set of developers. Um, and with weather, it's, it's an interesting data set that can hands broad you know, set of applications, make them come alive. And, and uh, we, we make this really easy with WeatherKit and, and at the same time are delivering a great REST API, um, you know, for apps and websites outside of the, the Apple platform ecosystem. And with Xcode Cloud, we are looking at, you know, how to help developers build apps faster and better and, and also build better apps um, by, by automating things like testing and distributing their software and, and just saving them so much time on the way and helping them in each stage of the development process. Um, so both of these you know, represent really powerful functionality that, that uh, help developers reach their goals and, and we are working to make them really accessible to uh, the widest range of developers possible. Oh, and I think and it's, it's just certainly very appreciated. I think it's 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 nice to see that partnership ex- continue to expand and to feel and maybe in some ways like some of the themes I have is that it it feels more of like a it's like more like a partnership in that way. That in the same way, it's like started start, start of our conversation talking about the developer center and talking about things like that. That it's just trying to provide like Apple continues to expand the the the, the ways in which they're that you're providing support to developers, which is. I think wonderful to see and certainly appreciate it as someone who is one of those developers being supported. Yeah, and, and often what we can do with these kind of services like Xcode Cloud is, is in a certain sense formulate the best practices that we learned ourselves doing our own software development. When we watch our own app teams, you know, implement their apps, uh, you know, we, we can learn from that and we often bring the kind of experiences uh, right to our, our third-party community, uh, you know, and, and a service like Xcode Cloud is, is a really great way to do that. We are brought to you this week by Sourcegraph. So you've hired a brilliant developer. That's great, but now you have to get them onboarded. If your company is growing, onboarding new developers will be a common occurrence, but it's a big undertaking each time. One of the biggest challenges for new hires is to get up to speed with the project their new team is working on. This can be tricky if the code bases your developers are working in are already large. Thankfully, Sourcegraph makes it easy to move fast, even in those big code bases. Developers know that knowledge is most usable when it's findable. Centralization helps, but 
Given that most companies are stored knowledge in at least two different locations, how do you make knowledge accessible to those that need it? As a code intelligence platform, Sourcegraph gives developers what they need to drive their own learning over time and in different situations. Teams without Sourcegraph need to rely on asking colleagues or reviewing out-of-date documentation, which is cumbersome and time-consuming. But with Sourcegraph, every developer can search across millions of repositories to find specific code, saving time for themselves and everyone else. So when questions do come up, you know it's the big stuff that's worthy of the extra time. Sourcegraph was created to make developers' lives easier, and today they work with leading companies across every industry, including three out of five of the top tech companies, plus PayPal, Uber, Plaid, GE, Reddit, Atlassian, and more. Visit about.sourcegraph.com to learn more. That's about.sourcegraph.com to find out why some of the biggest tech companies in the world use Sourcegraph and to see what it can do for yours. Or just click the link in our show notes. Let them know that you heard about them from us. Our thanks to Sourcegraph for the support of this show and Relay FM. And so I think the, the place that I want to wrap up is so this we're recording on Tuesday and I think it will hopefully have it come out. And I think if you were talking to developers who are going to have the rest of this week doing WWDC, it's like, what do you think are the the things that you'd want to say in terms of how they can maximally take advantage of the opportunities that we, that that Apple has and in terms of to set themselves up for success this summer. Because I feel like this, the WGC is the fascinating part for me because it's always, this is the start of the developer year. Like the year doesn't start in January. The year starts the first Monday in June, essentially in my mind. It's and the kickoff. Yeah, this, yeah. Is, this, is, this is it. And it's like, so what what should we be doing? What Making sure that we're taking advantage of all the opportunities to have a super successful summer. Yeah, I mean, labs and digital lounges are a huge opportunity, right? Um, This is hopefully not the only time during the year, but it's definitely the most central time during the year where you as developer can have one-on-one contact and and small group contact with our engineers and with our designers and show them what you're working on, talk about the questions that you have burning in the back of your mind, whether it's new things on WidgetKit or whether it's about SF symbols or whether it's about Swift charts. those lab appointments are amazing. And uh, I know it can be a little bit intimidating. I remember the first time uh, when I went to a when I went to a lab as a as a designer um, and asking questions, it, it feels it feels a little bit scary. Um, but honestly, uh, th- that's why the digital lounges are a great opportunity too, because they provide kind of that slow onboarding, right? You can you can observe in a group, you don't necessarily have to sit one on one with from somebody if you if you don't necessarily feel comfortable with it. And then Get yourself comfortable, comfortability, get yourself a little bit more familiar and and then reach out, apply for a lab, have a conversation. Um, we, we have thousands of engineers and, and designers who really want would love to talk with our developer audience and our designer audience. So we definitely, I mean, take the absolute most advantage of that you can. Yeah, because I would say I was fascinated last year but doing digital lounges and labs was the, the lounges reminded me a lot of in the old days of WWDC where you would go and you'd go to the lab for one question, but you'd end up hanging out there to hear other people's questions yeah. to benefit from just you'd hear someone else asking a question and it's like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. That's an interesting question. I want to hear the answer to this. And you find yourself learning and benefiting from other people's other other people's interests, other people's problems, other you know they they've had time to potentially explore an API in a direction that you haven't had time yet in that week, 
and the digital lounges, that's what I see that them filling that same role of it's being able to benefit from other people's experience. Absolutely. And then mm-hmm. like the, the labs is the, is the other side of that, of being able to benefit, t- take that learning, find your own questions and then dive into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talked about the digital lounges, it was really about how can we recreate kind of those beautiful happenstance moments in the labs and bring that to a worldwide audience, right? Really be, make that more accessible to folks um, and, and have a way for people to kind of see and and also get a lot of information that they may not have otherwise gotten, right? In a one-to-one lab, you can ask one question uh, uh, that that dives deep for 30 minutes, or you can talk more generally about your app, but it's very focused on where you're coming from. And the digital lounges are a huge opportunity to be able to learn from not only our Apple engineers and our designers, but also other developers and the way that they're approaching things. You know, we have our uh, coding design challenges and lounges too, which I really love. And it's been fun watching the first of them go live today. We've got a pixel icon challenge and people have just been posting all day about the different way that they're like approaching designing pixel level art and those kinds of things like watching the way that designers approach it and watching the ways that engineers are approaching like our Swift Playgrounds challenges. It's really great. Uh, it's it's really great to see it as a community level. And it's also really just cool. It's it, I feel like I learn things from the way that people are asking questions, the way that people are approaching things. Well, thank you so much to our guests today, Andreas Venker and Serenity Caldwell. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been wonderful. I hope everybody out there has a wonderful conference. Uh, thank you all out there for listening. And half of us will talk to you in two weeks. Bye.